From Chagdagumpa Riggs and Lane, this is Listen, Contemplate, Meditate, a podcast featuring a range of teachings from the Buddhist tradition presented by Lamas of Chagdagumpa Foundation. Our website is chagdagumpa.org. Some sense, I, I feel like I've been set up. Tissues? This love and relationships. Uh, I try to be agreeable. I said, oh, okay. You know. But then I noticed in the publicity, it said, the Buddhist view of love and relationships. So then I felt safer. Of course, of Buddhism, uh, not just Mahayana, you know, there's different different, uh, aspects of how Buddhism uh, has developed, both. uh, in the world and how it develops on an individual level. And then there's teachings that are appropriate for that. And certainly uh, love and relationships uh, are taught extensively in all schools of Buddhism. Uh, Right from the right from the the get-go. But it's more in the lines of loving all beings equally and having compassion for all beings, acting in ways that promote the happiness of all beings and creating the causes and conditions for others to experience happiness. So that's that's definitely there, and uh, actually, that's we we've been uh, uh, looking into that over the last several months uh, here uh, in this <clears throat> uh, topic of what are called the four the four immeasurable uh, attitudes or the four immeasurable uh, thoughts, which is uh, immeasurable love and compassion, uh, joy, joy, and equanimity. And these are themes, uh, meditations, or uh, themes that are uh, developed in uh, right from the uh, most basic form of uh, Buddhist teachings. In the Mahayana, or let's go back up maybe. When we think of like uh, romantic love, then that's a different, that's a, almost, we need a separate word, or it's a different word. I don't think here, all these, these books here, uh, these are, these things, these flaps, those are all the sutras of teachings of Buddha, and, and the shastras, the commentaries of the Buddhas, are the Buddhist teachings by the great 
uh, Indian uh, pundits and, and early masters. I have a, uh, of course, I, I'm not, I'm just a, uh, I know a few drops of those oceans, that's it. Uh, but I've heard that there's nothing in any of those books about what we think of as romantic love. And in the, in the except that it's uh, a problem. <laughs> uh, so we could get to that if you're interested. But, uh, oh no. And that's actually an interesting idea. As I was thinking uh, how I was going to get out of this <laughs> topic, uh, of course, I have to, uh, full disclosure, I, I, my wife is here, and we've been married almost 50 years. And so... Some people that may they may become misled by that uh, uh, record to think that I have some something to say <laughs> about that. <laughs> and, uh, so I want to try. I'm trying to. I'm scrambling here to to to, uh, to not turn this into my own anecdotes from my own perceptions. <clears throat> uh, but I was thinking, like, well, what, what do we, uh, what is the Buddhist view of relationship? I mean, romantic relationships. Okay, I, mean, I don't want to just talk about that, but uh, like, where does that fit in to a, uh, uh, into Buddhism, into a, let's say a, uh, a system, a, a system of of thought that's based on truth. Uh, like Buddhism isn't a doctrinal; it doesn't promote some doctrine particularly. It, it, the whole point of Buddhism is to uh, discover and uh, integrate and harmonize with the truth. Even in Buddhism, anything that leads to the truth is called virtuous. And anything that uh, steers you or draws you away from the, from the, from approaching the truth is called non-virtuous. There's no sort of doctrinal idea of sin as such. It all has to do with the truth, wisdom. And so what kind of a, uh, where does, uh, and, and one of those truths that the Buddha is, is, that Buddhism presents for our scrutiny is impermanence. Everything is impermanent. So in that sense, since the, the teachings of the Buddha are, are uh, the intention of the teachings of Buddha are to guide one, guide an individual uh, 
to the truth. That's it. Even though there's all these words, all these pages and volumes and so forth, the whole point is uh, wisdom. Uh, so then how does, uh, and one of those, uh, one, of, one of the teachings of Buddha, uh, right from, the, well, the very first teaching of Buddha was uh, incorporated the teachings of impermanence. And so how do we approach uh, love and relationships given that the one that almost the the uh, underlying fabric of of the teachings of Buddhism is impermanence and impermanence is uh, merely uh, a description of things it's not that impermanence is a uh, a, a principle or something that exists. It's like a color. I don't know, maybe. Is it a color? Like a color red. It always has to have an object, I think. Not, I didn't think this out maybe sufficiently, <laughs> but uh, it's like that. It's a description of a thing that has red. But maybe that you can you can uh, fault me on that later if you want. I'm not attached to that. But the idea of it's just as an example, impermanence is is just it's a description of things. If 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 a thing is a thing, then it is by definition impermanent, because a thing is just something made up of other things. And everything comes together, everything comes together and appears to be what it looks like or sounds like or smells like or tastes like. Everything comes together uh, to be what it, how it presents itself through causes and conditions. Everything exists, you could say, impermanently through causes and conditions. Nothing exists as an independent entity all by itself with its own power to be. That sounds very philosophical. But where does that idea, how does that, uh, what about love and relationships? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to think. Okay, well, because I can, and as I said, Buddhism may, if it did, which it, it only talks about love and relationships as examples of problems of being attached. It's not that love and relationships is a problem so much as the attachment that can, and usually does, uh, accompany that feeling of love. And by love, okay, we can think of love uh, as being uh, a heart 
that yearns for another's happiness, okay, as a kind of a working, like when two people fall in love, aside from the uh, a thing that happens, there's also accompanying that an investment in wanting that other person to be even happier and longer happy, happy longer than, than they are. And you want to be a part of it. You want you want you want a percentage of it. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a uh, there's there's always going to be some agenda, personal agenda in it. Uh, and that and even like if you you know for people practicing a spiritual path, that also sort of has a. Uh, caution against uh, uh, attachment, as many spiritual paths do, uh, then even knowing all of that and knowing all of the above about impermanence, you would think that, uh, I mean, why are people still falling in love? It's almost as if it has a life of its own. <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, the thing about impermanence is that it... Uh, mm, and love, is that it makes it all so very fragile. So that actually the more you understand impermanence, the more you, uh, if I can risk saying that, that, you know, the more you take that as one of your truths, one of your life truths, uh, the more fragile your relationships, the more you're aware of how fragile your, your relationships are, and the more you will just instinctually or logically something, the more something you will protect your relationships. You'll value them basically, because of their fragility, just like a child, a baby is so uh, all the, beyond all the cuteness and, and, and the potential there, there's a fragility that means that you protect. You can't help but protect it. When you hold a child, you have to hold it in such a way, not too tight, not too loose, uh, because of that uh, fra fragil fragility. And so, actually, in practice, impermanence and all the implications of impermanence, all the implications of impermanence, all the total implications of impermanence, uh, make everything better that's positive and good in your life. It adds 
an element to your relationships that, I can't say that it wasn't there, but it adds a, an element to your relationship. And the, the more profound or the more accepting and the more, uh, more it becomes the, some sort of a, a, a wisdom aspect to your relationship, the more it informs your relationship, in spite of its fragility, the more precious it is. And so when something is more precious and valuable to you, you it affects your conduct. You refrain naturally from certain things that will uh, accelerate the fragility of that relationship. And you'll look for ways to heal and to preserve and nurture uh, the, the, the wholesome or the, the, the more uh, positive aspects of a relationship. Uh, so it's risky, because on the surface you think, I mean, it's, it's risky because I, I don't know, I don't know, I know everyone here, but, you know, because of our uh, culture, uh, popular culture, which basically is our culture. <laughs> we don't run too deep here in the, you know, America culture. Uh, so uh, we have uh, like uh, cinema, the amazing world of, of cinema, and uh, music, and uh, well, cinema, like theater, basically uh, drama. We have a lot of drama in our culture and music, and dramatic music. Uh, and it's all about, uh, I don't want to make the overgeneralization, but uh, it's almost the better, the better the movie is, the more horror, the more, more tragic it is. I mean, Shakespeare uh, hasn't gone out of style. You know, the more tragic, the more failure, the more love gone askew, you know, the more crazy it is. I see a lot of, a lot of more obsessive stories. Mm -hmm. uh, that resonates. And when I watch these things, I say, God, there's just no understanding of impermanence here on any functional level. Otherwise, there'd be no movies. You know, things wouldn't get to any point that a movie even begins at. <laughs> so understanding impermanence brings you pre-drama. You know, you're pre-drama. Your world is pre-drama. Pre-theater. <laughs> For you, it's, it's, it's very great, but you might not be able to... Uh, uh, tell a lot of stories or uh, look for people to commiserate with. Of course, in the, in the Buddhist uh, path, uh, the development of love is based on our ability to value and wish for 
someone, at least one person in your life, your living life, your present life, to be happy. And just based on that little finger hold, then you can begin to spread that to others, even to your enemies. But you have to have one. Mother, sister, uncle, grandparent. You have to have one that you value. And then appreciating how, if they were happy, how they would feel. And the fact that you can think that way means for one, and recognize how others would feel if they were happy. We always, sometimes maybe we think of people who are having problems as being, you know, like when you remember them or think of them, you hear stories of them and you think of them and you think of them being that way. They're sad. You know, they're miserable now. Some tragic thing happened to them. But that's all in your own mind. But we don't always take people who are unhappy, a person we know, say, who is unhappy, and really think of them as being happy. And almost visualize them or, or uh, envision them being happy, which they've been, and which they have the capacity to be. And so just thinking of others as being happy, others who are not happy, say, and thinking them as being happy is a form of love. You're actually creating love for them or increasing your love for them. And because of your... If you can do that, then you have an inherent belief in the in impermanence and that because you're changing you're changing the way you feel and you're changing your concept of them and that you're recognizing that there is something in others or there's something in people that has the capacity to be happy. That it's not necessarily that people... It's not so clear, is it? That people aren't... uh, Like people's uh, personality are not... uh, Like people's personality isn't like solid. I was to say, you know, it's not, a, it's not a fixed thing. It's not, well, that's the way I was born. It's not like that, actually. Everything comes together. Everything is based on causes and conditions. Everything is interdependent. Everything is changeable and impermanent. 
So just your the mere fact of your changing your idea of someone from being someone who's always ha- unhappy, say, to someone who's now happy, contributes to their happiness. Like the universe changed the whole causes and conditions that make up the universal experience has been something else has been added that wasn't there before. Like we have this tradition in Buddhism here and other Buddhist places of lighting butter lamps or lighting lamps, lighting candles. Here we do it in sort of mass numbers, but even in your home or something. And it's the same. The idea is the same, where you light a candle, you can just light a candle and adore it and appreciate the atmosphere it creates. But then if you do the same act of lighting a candle and then making an aspiration for maybe you have someone who's in trouble or just thinking in terms of all beings, that may the light of wisdom arise in the hearts of all beings by me lighting this candle. Light that wasn't there before, like the lumens of a, what do you call it, the output of a candle wasn't there, and you, through your physical intention, made it come. And then that changed all the lights, all the illumination in the world. It wasn't there, and now it's there. And your aspiration for another's happiness wasn't there, and you created it. Size doesn't matter so much. It's just is or isn't. So everything is interdependent. Nothing goes to waste. Nothing is wasted. Everything will always result in something based on it. So even though these are like in Buddhism, uh, these are just called sort of the facts of life. Impermanence. Everything's fragile and changeable because we become attached to something. As soon as we become attached to it, there's this sort of habit or instinct, maybe, or I don't know how deep it goes. It seems pretty deep in me, but there's this habit of suddenly, as soon as we come attached to something that we like, we don't want it to change. Even if we go around spouting, oh, everything is impermanent, you know, go with the flow, it's all, it's all changeable and everything, but oh, as soon as we, you know, as soon as that, we get struck by that arrow, you know, then suddenly that's the way, that's, oh, if only things could be like this forever and ever, and all the other theater and movies and country and western songs and everything, you know, of either how that's going to be, and then after, you know, 2.3 2. 
three minutes, then the song ends and it's going to be that way forever. Uh, or the next song is how it ended in a tragedy. And I'm still going to go looking for, for it again, hoping that this time it'll be permanent and forever. <laughs> you know? And uh, that delusion has accompanied uh, humans uh, since there was such a thing as humans, I suppose. Uh, so, so this idea of really trusting the upside of understanding everything to be temporary and impermanent, no matter how much your sort of your your love instinct is to oh if if this is how can we make this be forever you know there's that but there, those two those two thoughts i think i shouldn't say i think are they incompatible or not mm-hmm. understanding happy understanding impermanence and wanting a relationship or a, a feeling of love to continue. Everything continues, everything exists because of causes and conditions. So if you understand impermanence, then the truth, the, the, the truth, uh, let's say, mm, the karma of mentally knowing the truth causes the truth to reveal itself in your relationship. And truth is good. On the other side, uh, we make mistakes. We uh, say things or do things or think things that are uh, harmful or tragedy strikes us from the outside or health or something. Uh, Loss, abandonment, uh, economic uh, downturns, mean people having power over us, Uh, our understanding of impermanence uh, reduces the intensity of the discomfort or pain. As Shantideva, this great Indian master, says if knowing that everything is impermanent, then when something bad happens, you know, like a a flat tire, or he didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) 
a spoke of your chariot wheel <laughs> snaps. <laughs> but you know, when something bad happens, uh, there's and you understand impermanence, so then you're not absorbed in the tragedy, but you're seeing that a tragedy happened, and commensurate with your understanding of impermanence, there's a clarity in a situation. And that clarity will inform you, well, it's a flat tire. I need to change it. And what's there to suffer about? It's just the doing of it and the resolving of the tragedy. Secondly, or the other alternative is with that clarity, realizing that, well, there's nothing to be done. So since there's nothing to be done, there's nothing to really be upset about because there's no way to change it. But that takes some clarity, and that clarity comes from understanding the truth of impermanence. The result, speaking in terms of causes and conditions, the result of uh, even, well, I say, I, I don't know, I said before, this commensurate with your, uh, how, however much you hang out with the, with the concept of impermanence, then because it's true, even if you just say it or write it on a piece of paper and put it on your refrigerator, like every time you look at it, you're seeing a word that is a symbol of the truth. It's not a doctrine. And every time you suffer from loss or suffer from some expression of impermanence, it validates itself. It reveals its truthfulness to you. And that's just on the kind of gross, flat tire kind of uh, fuse-blowing level of impermanence. So that if you understand impermanence, uh, when you buy a new object, and you know that that object is impermanent, then when it reveals its impermanence, it either breaks or it uh, becomes uh, obsolete. Obsolete. Uh, you won't feel the burn, the bite of that if you've understood, or according to how you have understood impermanence. If you buy something, okay, this is the last iPhone I'm going to buy. Huh? I thought that myself. I, thought, I, I noticed myself thinking that. I held out for so long. I said, okay, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, and wait. Finally, Finally, why did I just say that? 
I bought this iPhone, and I really noticed my mind thinking, well, this will be my last, I'm going to buy it, this will be my iPhone for life. Of course, I also understand I'm a very old person. (laughs) So I've noticed myself saying that more often. (laughs) I also said last time I bought a pair of pants. I said, oh, these, I'll pay, you know, at least six dollars more for these because it'll be my last pair of pants. <laughs> but who knows what's going to break first, me or my iPhone? <laughs> we don't know. That's the thing, that's the excitement of impermanence is we don't know who's going to go first. But somebody is. Something is going. Uh, so if you know, if, if you don't, if, if I didn't catch myself and go, oh, that's just some habit I have of thinking this is the last thing I'm ever going to, this is the, the, the last uh, iPhone I'm going to buy. If I really think that, I mean, it's made me suffer so much anyway without thinking that. But if I thought that this was it and I was going to keep this forever, I would really be suffering right now. But knowing that oh, it's just a, it's a device that needs to be maintained, it needs upgrades, it needs this, it's going to crack, it's going to do this. Then when all those things do happen that I knew about, it's less suffering. And less suffering, or wanting to suffer less, whether it's our own suffering or particularly the suffering of others, that's love. That's a kind of love. And it seems like the doorway to love is impermanence. It's so interesting. It seems so counterintuitive. And you don't have to even think that. We don't have to even think that way. All we have to think of is, well, is impermanence really true? I think I'll prove it. I'll prove that it's not true. That would maybe even be more honest, less sort of doctrinal. Like, oh, yeah. No. Twelve thirty. Oh, it's twelve right now. Yeah, I, I know that. Okay. I wanted to also have some time for questions. I didn't. I I only. I had some other thoughts too, but I don't know now. So, that's important. I think. This is, I mean, in my life. The <laughs> uh, impermanence has really changed. Uh, you know, my that's my go-to thing, is impermanence, many times. Another go-to place, now oh, I'm violating my own uh, thing, not <laughs> talking about myself, but uh, self-referencing. Uh, is, uh, and this is uh, Chakra Rinpoche advice, was like... Uh, a couple, like a relationship people, the point is to make the other person happy. 
not to be made happy by the other person. That's not why you, if you have that kind of a relationship, then you're really uh, basically uh, asking for trouble. Okay, I, I really like this person. I think they can make me happy. Dangerous. Fraught with, with uh, treachery and disappointment. Because what's the big thing about relationships that, 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 that uh, I don't want to say kills? Killing maybe would be okay, but what it does is it deadens the relationship is expectations. You, you hang out and, and, and not, this isn't talking about you know, romantic love, this is just relationships now, just relationships. There's expectations. The balance between having certain a certain uh, degree of expectation, so that there's a dynamic quality to the to any relationship, and everything isn't just oh yeah whatever you know, but that there is some acknowledgement of the value of someone else and what they can contribute to a relationship and the typical old couple sort of expectations of wanting somebody to make you happy. So this is... uh, This is a a problem I've seen, is that expectation... So really, we in a relationship, we have to allow uh, freedom and cultivate our own awareness, the spaciousness, not you know, the, the the spaciousness of of awareness, and recognizing when we have expectations that are based on our own uh, uh, neurotic needs. Neurotic needs, meaning uh, oh, that's too big, and uh, uh, from a dharma practitioner's uh, for a dharma practitioner, a relationship. This is not different. This I'm just unpacking that for a second. That word, neurotic need or expectations. like a, uh, in a relationship, uh, maybe there's some initial uh, karmic fruition that that explodes in this uh, relationship forming. You know, uh, just causes and conditions again, uh, and but then uh, causes have strength and weakness to support the continuance of that occurrence, and conditions change. So we need, like I said, an understanding of impermanence and an awareness to surf and uh, dance with that shifting, causing, causation, and conditioning process. Uh, you lose your job, and so expectations of being supported at a certain level become shattered, 
and you've overinvested in that expectation. And the conditions have changed. The karma no longer supports a comfortable lifestyle, and you had the wrong uh, uh, idea about the truth, basically. That the truth was that this person is going to provide me with uh, a certain percentage that will ensure my happiness with them. <laughs> and the conditions change, and somebody failed. So then there's problems. If understanding impermanence, then we'll deal. And awareness and clarity creates uh, creates not solutions, but anyway, it's a dance. It's the next create the next step in the dance of life. So, and there's no end point in a relationship. You know, there's no well. We've been we've been struggling with this relationship for two decades now. Like. I think we've come to the. I think we've come to a point now in our relationship. Like, whoa, that sounds treacherous. That sounds dangerous language. That 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 there is no point. It's always because somebody's going to die. Huh? That's just the facts of life. Impermanence includes that part. That's the full expression of impermanence for human, for people you know, and animals. Is death? So, even in the Tibetan language, they call impermanence. They go chiwamitakpa means uh, impermanence, meaning dying, death. <laughs> You know, they include it in the in the what is it like manner of speech? Chiwamitapa. Even to the point for a practitioner who has become great, has greater and greater and greater familiarity with all the uh, ramifications of impermanence, even when death comes they'll go, aha, this is the most impermanent experience I can feel. This is the peak moment of impermanence. And so there's almost a, a excitement. How am I going to do with this one? I got over losing my job. I got over my flat tires. I got over my toothaches. I got over my sickness. Now this one, there is the, the impermanence of this sickness is death. That's how this sickness will end. Sickness doesn't always end in being healed or coming back to normal. Think, oh, it was impermanent. One sickness will come, and it's impermanent. The end of it is death. Then this relationship, what, where's, where's the uh, value? They say in Buddhism, it says, uh, after death, consciousness, then they remember. Not they. It, consciousness still has traces, just like you have traces, these kind of crazy traces of yesterday. You don't have, like, you can't account for uh, 
I don't know how many minutes there are in a day, 24 hours, or say, let's say, 16 waking hours. You can't account for every moment of that. At 9.01, 9.02, 9.03, we can't account for that. And that's when we die, our consciousness still, just kind of, oh, then this face of this person, our love relationship, our lover, will pop in like this. And they say after the equivalent of some time, of two, three days, say the equivalent of that, uh, then that doesn't happen. Then there's zero trace of that person that you loved. Zero. But what you're left with is the karma that you created with that person the love you had, the object is gone, totally gone. That's scary. But the karmic, the, the causation aspect of what you accrued during that relationship is part and parcel of your consciousness. It adhered, so to speak. They say our actions adhere to our mind like rust adheres to iron. And we, that consciousness only will experience the results of those actions. Who, the friends that we defended, the lovers we pleased, the arguments we had, the, the, the bad speech, the, the conduct we engaged in, positive and negative, the objects of all that will cease to exist. Absolutely cease. Just like a bubble in a carbonation. It just magically comes and then it naturally goes up and then magically disappears. No trace of it. That's relationship. People, we have relationship, lovers and enemies. Think of both ways. Not be prejudiced. You know, this equanimity. We need to spread that ability to love one or a few people of your own particular race, your own particular economic group, your own particular hairstyle group, uh, your own, you know, like the, the jeans wearers or the pant, sharp pants wearers, the black shoe people, the sandals people, uh, you know, all the different groups that we sort of have an easier time uh, sympathizing with, you know. Uh, so this uh, equanimity, <coughs> we don't need to worry about equanimity, like, uh, uh, because we have a natural, I don't know, in the... Mm, Like in a Vajrayana life, we have this like a mandala, you know, like a mandala. So uh, there's the, oneself as the center. We're like the center of the mandala, and then there's almost like petals, 
with petals, rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, some petals, just because of causes and conditions, are right close to the center, naturally. And others are on the edge. But they're all the flower. They all make up the flower. There's no actual distinction. You, but you can distinguish location. <clears throat> so some people are close to us through causes and conditions, and it's impermanent, and others are on the outer rim. But equanimity just sees the whole, appreciates the responsibilities that might be inherent to being in a certain position in relationship to others, but not losing sight of the whole. So you may, I hate to do this to you, but you, know, you may vote for somebody later on this year, But if you have an appreciation of the truth of impermanence and an awareness of the wholeness of the whole situation, you realize that you're just doing your civic duty. You're giving it your best shot, applying your best wisdom. But everything comes through causes and conditions. Whoever's running or is pretending to run this this operation that we find ourselves in uh, is perfect. It couldn't be any other way from the point of view of causes and conditions. Nothing arises without a cause. And there's a collective aspect to it as well. So, okay, I don't want to go any further there. Uh, why, uh, if you have any questions, we can... Yes, ma'am. Is there a difference between love and compassion? Um... We can make a distinction, yes, you can. I mean, sometimes love includes so much in the positive thing, but uh, if we say love and compassion, then love specifically uh, refers to this uh, desire for another's well-being and happiness, and uh, uh, followed by creating the causes for that to happen according to our relationship and abilities. That's love. Uh, Compassion, I don't know, on the other hand, uh, is a mind that can't bear others' suffering and wants to do or and uh, attempts to remove the suffering of others. So, so, So there's a difference. One has to do with wanting happiness, and the other has to do with not wanting suffering. Our own uh, problems come about, I mean, because of the general impermanence 
of things, our, our pain comes about through becoming attached to things that we want, uh, having an aversion for things that we don't want. So we're, we're kind of uh, always uh, banging our head against these two walls, you know, of, of wanting and not wanting, attachment and aversion. So on a spiritual path, in, in the Buddhist spiritual path, uh, there's different ways to uh, antidote, transform, or to simply see through those two poles. Then there's the third pole, which is just indifference, which uh, in some contexts is just neutral, like, like nothing happening. Or in the Mahayana context, there's kind of no such thing as neutral. You're either working for the benefit of others or you are not. <laughs> you don't get to hang out. Bodhisattvas don't hang out. You know? uh, they're either uh, restoring themselves consciously to be able to re-engage re or they're engaging. Is that, is that clear? So... And on a, a spiritual practice level, a practicing love and compassion, when you practice, when you intentionally practice love, you're antidoting or you're reducing the momentum of, of attachment. Like you have, oh, this watch. I, I love this watch. I, I, I have attachment to this watch. I think, oh, I wish everyone had a watch like this. There's a neutralization of that. Like, just as I love this watch, I wish everyone felt that they had what they needed to tell the time. You know, this kind of, it's just a transfer, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expansion of that to reduce this attachment. seems like uh, a pretty tall order to live in the world and like, you know, pursue relationships, make money, and still have that attitude of, of um, detachment. You know, of I can't, detachment? Yeah, I, I can't lose an iPhone or break something expensive without having some degree of suffering. I've gotten better at it, but I mean, it's... That's so the point. Where do you, if you could maybe speak to finding that balance or... Because um, they seem very opposed. It seems like if you really want enlightenment, you should just quit and just go to the, not quit, but go to the monastery or something, you know, drop out. Uh huh. Uh -huh. So. Yeah, yeah. You can do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, uh, you know, for that, that's one path. But you have to understand that wherever you go to do that work, there's problems. Show of hands? <laughs> yeah. So becoming, uh, you know, like there, like on that, uh, that pole of, uh, of like becoming a, a monk or a nun or something, what you're doing is, okay, like I'm really fed up with attachment and aversion. So basically you put a wall around yourself. Okay. Of course there's, you know, not killing which means, okay, I'm not going to walk on grass anymore. I might step on something, you know. 
Uh, so then that limits where you go. Uh, stealing, which is another one of the so-called non-virtues. Uh, okay, that means taking what's not given. I know I talked to one of Bunt, uh, Bhante's, they say, this one uh, uh, Sri Lankan uh, monk. He said, oh, and they used to go begging. And they go before noon, they'd go begging in the morning. Then if the one that are hot, when they take their break from that, they go in like a line, you know, very kind of cool. Then he said, oh, then if there's a shadow on the street of a tree that's on someone's house, they don't sit in it. It's not their shadow. It's not, they don't own that shadow. That shadow belongs to that person's tree. That's really detailed. Okay, I mean, that's really, I, I said, really, you think that detailed? You know, it's, it's just a way of cultivating mindfulness. That's all, not just forgetting, not being, you know, just being really scrupulous that way, you know. Uh, not just, you know, picking up something because it's at the end of the table, you know, because it might belong to somebody else. So you're just, you're just mindful. It's not, you're, you're, it's not, it's a little compulsive, but it's not neurotic. There's a context for it. The context is truth, bringing me to truth, not becoming a perfect person. Yeah, can I just follow up on that and say, uh, would you consider like the ideal to be um, letting go completely of attachment and therefore releasing suffering or suffering and just seeing the truth of it and being okay with suffering? Is that, you know, does that make sense? I think that what you originally said makes the most sense. It's all percentages. It's not necessarily, uh, I don't, I mean, this is just my own language way of speaking. Balance, I'm suspicious of finding balance. Like who's who's looking and who's invested in the balance, point of balance, you know. Uh, But uh, just doing our best with an intention to, you know, it's our intention is this wisdom and compassion. So we do our best. We try our best, I mean. That might not always be look like we're doing our best. We try our best. We can't do more than that. Sure, get rid of attachment. But how much percentages are you going to get rid of attachment by getting rid of attachment? You know? Yeah, three or four percent? Great. You know, yeah. You know, but how are you going to get rid of attachment should has to be kind of logical according to your overall intention. Not just because you're not aspiring to be, oh, I really, you know, when I, when I get older, I want to stand on a freeway entrance with a cardboard sign that says, you know, God bless. And so I'm going to start now by just giving away everything and quitting and doing this and that, and I'll get to that point where I have nothing. And that, you know, that's <laughs> not... So just getting rid of attachment means how are you going to develop relationships with people? You know, uh, on this line of the monk, you know, the perfect monk model, where no sex, no uh, killing, stealing, no lying, that's all to protect you. 
to protect you from karma. Mahayana idea is we have to do things because relationships are more valuable than my personal karmic experience. So I, I lie in order to benefit, maybe save somebody's life. Somebody runs in here and says, oh, somebody's coming after me with a gun, you know, and, and somebody with a gun runs in. I put two and two together. They say, did you see this person run through here? I say, no, they, I saw them, they ran that way. I lie, bold-faced lie. On the first system, I would, that would be a breakage, you know, that would be a, like, that's a, what do you call, unvirtue, to lie. And the second situation is virtuous, you saved a life. It wasn't about you protecting your karma. Saving a life outshines any negative that comes from deceiving, deceiving someone. Actually, you save two lives. You save the victim's life and you save the potential person killing. So, uh, in the Mahayana and the path of cultivating love and compassion and joy and equanimity, uh, there's, it says in the text, there still has to be like a healthy ego with some juice. There's got to be some juice, some emotion. We need emotion. If we want to become free of neurotic emotions, you know, attachment and hatred and aversion, if we want to be free of those and experience what's there when we are free of them, then we need to use them, not, let's say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Convert them, like my attachment to all beings. May all beings have the happiness of this food or whatever. So it's really learning skillful means, learning to be skillful. Even in how you, uh, you know, we can't go around revealing the truth to everyone. You came here asking for it, so <laughs> I feel totally licensed to, uh, you know, according to my capacity, though, you know, but still has to be skillful. Even Buddha, you know, some things he taught, you know, he taught in very skillful ways. Other times he just taught, you know, just totally absolute truth, no, no further explanations. Just, but you can't do that to everybody. So in that, in that same sense. Questions? Um, so when you talk about impermanence, um, there's a, there could be a sense of like disappointment, like, oh man, um, there's a sort of breaking with the hopes of uh, connection with others, I guess. But then there can also be a kind of a flowering of, holy cow, we get to dance this together for a period, you know. Do you get that sense? Is there a sense of deep appreciation for your, deeper appreciation for your relationships because you know that they, you get to kind of swirl together for some period and that's really beautiful and awesome? Or does that um, add a kind of 
uh, risk of attachment in its own way in your mm, I don't it doesn't no I mean that's almost the antidote to that risk okay. I mean uh, yeah impermanence will yeah the former cool. yeah just as if it was uh, <clears throat> yeah like an object, if you understand its impermanence, that means at some point it's, it's gone, then why don't I just give it away now as a gesture to benefit others? Why hold on to it until it breaks? So, I mean, it, it, understanding impermanence promotes your generosity in the same way that with a relationship it promotes the cherishing and the value of others, so you don't uh, bury like bad words. You know, you don't harbor. You, you 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 talk it out if you can, so that you're not burying the seeds of future suffering by just bearing with others' uh, mistakes. So you. There's that sense of nurturing and uh, working it out. Let's work it out, okay? You know, I don't want to just uh, go and brood for a couple of days and then we'll get back together again. You know, that kind of burying uh, is still there's seeds there. So understanding impermanence kind of uh, prevents or it fosters that uh, creative dialogue, that attempt at communication anyway. Attempting, attempting to communicate is good. You can't actually communicate, but you can go through the, the dance of attempting to communicate. Yeah. When it comes to uh, you know, loving every individual equally, and uh, in that sense, when there's, and you want them to be happy, when their happiness is them doing things that are not good. Like, you don't want them to be doing this, but it makes them happy. You know, what are you supposed to do in that sense? Well, that depends on your... separate? Yeah, yeah, no, that's good, because it's either going to be kind of one or another-ish, you know, because... But that kind of a situation depends on your relationship with with who it is uh, that you're. If if you're, uh, you know, if you're the the number one advisor and and uh, trusted uh, trusted uh, in a trusted position with a with a despot, with a tyrannical dictator who's becoming worse and worse, you might have more leverage with changing his bizarre bizarre source of happiness uh, than uh, you know somebody who, who has no relationship with him at all say and like you have you have a if you have a, a relationship with another person like a romantic love and a love with another person and you see them acting in ways that are are, are well you know that's really not that's only short term you know in the long term this is going to backfire then, you know, through your own, because uh, you have a door, you know, like a, a, you're trusted or so. So we have to uh, develop 
like on the uh, Bodhisattva path, you know, in Mahayana Buddhism, you have this, this individuals called the Bodhisattvas, and one of the ways that a bodhisattva practices is to not uh, avoid having relationships with others because in the future you may be able to benefit them. They may let you in to their life more. And so you always are developing some kind of a relationship uh, with others. It doesn't even have to be a good one. You know, like we have one aspiration prayer, you know, all those who have a relationship, no, getting relationship, all those who have a connection with me, you know, positive or negative, may they be led to the path of awakening, that kind of idea. It's one, it's, there's many stories in the, in the Buddhist tradition, you know, to support this idea where the, uh, some great master uh, can't benefit some situation because there's no like intimacy, there's no karmic intimacy there. They basically they won't pay attention. So he'll do something negative because it's the only thing that, that's there to, to create a connection. Then he can go and do something. But yeah, you have to be uh, another quality to cultivate is patience. Patience in not being able to do what we would like to do for others. And just say, wow, I really need to accumulate uh, some uh, wisdom and more compassion. Because you know? with compassion and with wisdom comes the, ability, the skillful means. The skillful means. Just like if you want to be, uh, you want to be generous, you wanna, even just you want to feed your family, feed your your lover you have to have money or you have to have a garden you have to do something you know you can't just sit there and and wish that you know oh if you were only well fed if you if only we weren't starving you got to get off your butt and go get a job and bring home some money it might look like wow look at them they're abandoning their family all day how unvirtuous to abandon your family all day, but you're out there earning money to bring home. Then you're able to relieve suffering. So acting is trickier. But action always begins with the mind. Oh, like karma begins with the mind. Action begins with the mind. So formulating... These kinds of intentions are very important, even if you can't fulfill them. Because when you can fulfill them, if you don't have the habit of those kinds of intentions, you'll just hold on to things. If you have the habit mentally of being generous, when you have the means, it will flow out of you. So what I'm hearing you saying is um, maybe a big part of Buddhism is living with paradox because, you know, you have the intention, like you're saying that you, that you have to go out and work and abandon your family. I mean, it's, it's, is that what skillful means is? Like deciding, you know, what's, what's the best way to fulfill the intention? Because it seems like you, you can never... Be right. <laughs> yeah. 
in, in this, what, what the demands are of being, living, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. a, a real life. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is this aspect of getting used to the paradox. I've said that, actually, but then I stopped saying it because I wasn't really sure doctrinally. I mean, this is a little philosophical, but in Buddhism, we do, there is this expression, the middle way. You know, it's the middle way, which means not falling into an extreme, even the extreme position of thinking things are real, even without proving they're real, we still think they're real, but we haven't really proved it. Or thinking that they're not real. Even to that point, we have to live in the paradox of not falling into either side. So that's a real paradox. Or that's, a real, that's the real middle way, is, is that. But, but yes, I think you're right. That's the creative... Uh, that's kind of the dynamic quality of of engaging in the world rather than disengaging. <coughs> disengaging is is fear of consequences, you know, and uh, that's what Buddha Shakyamuni did. Actually, so for the for Buddhists, that's a paradox. For Mahayana Buddhists, that's the paradox. Well, hey. Buddha Shakyamuni, he recoiled at what he saw as what we might call ordinary life, and he gave up like a perfectly beautiful wife, children, child, uh, power, wealth. He gave it all up. He left. That's our model. So abandonment is our model? Well, we have to... That uh, No, I'm saying... It is. One of them is, yeah. One model is that. But we have to reconcile that with, with this bodhisattva intention. I mean, Buddha did come back and teach and guide beings for 50 years. He left for you know, probably less than a, a decade to dedicate himself to uh, accomplishing his uh, spiritual potential. But when he did, then he came back. That's the model also. And he gave up austerities. First he gave up the extreme wealth, and then he gave up the extreme spiritual deprivations and austerities, and found this middle way. So that's kind of, I think of it a little bit that way, as, well, you have, we have to live with this paradox. Even, you know, in Mahayana, in the, in the Wisdom Sutras, it uh, talks about uh, this uh, term, uh, you know, shunyata, emptiness. Emptiness. But yet, uh, and so it says, every, uh, emptiness is the absolute nature of all phenomena, is emptiness, but yet everything still appears. Like an illusion, like a dream. So, appreciating that, and also 
So there's many paradox, many polar, many poles to walk between without falling into one extreme or another. And we're used, we're not used to that. So, the, so there's no ground. There's no ground to stand on. Everything is impermanent. Everything comes together through causes and conditions. So there's no, there's no like, mm, well, things will work out. That's not in accord with the truth. Things don't just work out because of some principle that everything works out, if you just let it alone. And looking at today's world, it's actually the opposite. Things naturally seem to be getting worse. So, and all the efforts and all the, the good works of people to prevent, you know, water, air, uh, economics, politics, psychology uh, from getting worse, all efforts to do that are only slowing down you know, what is imminent. It's just a cycle, cycles of life. <clears throat> the point isn't to perfect our, uh, you know, in, you know, in uh, Buddhism we have, they use this term samsara. Uh, everything is, everything occurs through causes and conditions. The purpose is not to create things so that all the causes will be positive and the conditions will all be wholesome. That's not really the purpose of of Buddhist path. Is to become a a completely do gooder, like a do perfecter. That's not, and then life will be good if everybody does that. That's not the purpose in Buddha. The purpose is simply to reveal wisdom, which is inseparable from compassion. And that which is our nature, it's our nature. So the purpose of all of our morality, all of our meditation, all of uh, the uh, qualities or the conduct of, of generosity and, and so forth, all, the whole purpose of that is to reveal this uh, wisdom quality that is obscured right now because of our attachments and aversions. So trusting that, trusting that potential, and then doing the best we can to elicit that potential, to reveal that potential, that's what we do, using causes and conditions. This podcast is supported by the generosity and kindness of Chagdagumpa members and donors. If you're interested in becoming a member, making a donation, or if you want to learn more about Chagdagumpa, feel free to go to chagdagumpa.org.